Welcome to Opposable Thumbs. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Backwards Safety Dance is our challenge this episode. So obvious. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jen and Alvaro from the Unnamed Reverse Engineering Podcast for that challenge. Yeah. They were our guests last week. If you haven't heard that episode, you should definitely check it out. Um, we have no guests this episode, so it's just Taylor and I keeping it real, holding it down, mm-hmm. making it happen, yep. taking our passion and making it happen. Um, oh, keep keep it going, man. Yeah, that's all I got. I ran out of steam. <laughs> My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun. I'm a designer and run the exoskeleton art space here in Los Angeles. I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, CAD cam evangelist, noted tall person. I'm a he, his kind of guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, backward safety dance. Here we are. Backward safety dance. This one was not easy. This one, I I found my way to it. So, I have for you, fresh and hot out the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, <laughs> hang on a second. Aren't we, we're supposed to stop quoting R. Kelly, aren't we? Mm. I think Spotify has a feature now where you can say, there's certain people that you can say, I just want to make sure they never come up on a radio station oh, so they great. don't get any revenue. Um. There are plenty, I think, visual artists that are terrible people and that have done terrible things. And then I think we still yeah. separate. I think we can agree that their work can be interesting and their people can be terrible. What do you think about that? Or do you really have to push that stuff out of your life entirely because of the money issue? Oh, man. What was that word everyone was using in the art world like 10 years ago? Mm. Like when they were having like a social practice, like when they were... Uh, uh, relational aesthetics. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just, everyone else uh, just stop listening to the podcast when I said that. <laughs> no, no, listen, we have a, we have a very specific audience, my friend. Yes. Yeah. Relational aesthetics. I think if they're still with us, if they're still with us after hearing it for two minutes, they're probably going to stick around yes. for, for this very reason. <laughs> That's true for relational aesthetics, which, right. which I, I will sum up poorly as being like the creating meaning and creating questions and creating uh, ideas and creativity through the interactions with other people, right? That's how I, that's how I think of relational what a relational, relational aesthetics are. Yeah, I think so. And that's that could be good. like you could you could be like I'm going to throw a really great house party, and that's my art making, and that's mm-hmm. relational aesthetics. Or maybe it's more political, Dinners. and you stage yeah a dinner or a protest or something. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that we do <clears throat> as creative acts, and so they're art making, and so they're uh, engaging with other people, so they're relational, right? So relational aesthetics. So for me, like if you abstract away the maker from the thing in art, you're kind of doing, it's no different than, it, it really feels like no different than like, um, well, uh, you know, zest is this soap and I don't care who made it. It just smells good or whatever, you know, like, or like, like who, who makes... Like, who is Procter & Gamble? Or, like, who is, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like, well, I mean, that might be interesting for some people, but at this point, like, I kind of want to be, like, down with the person who made it and not, like, oh, I love their work, but they're an asshole, but I'm just going to, like, put mm-hmm. that to the side. But because it's sort of what, like, a a brand is, right? And it feels exhausting to go back to that and be like, oh, I'm going to just, like, not worry about who Jeff Koons is and like think his, you know, Michael Jackson's statue is, is funny. 
I don't know. Well, do you do you like Jeff Koons? Just doesn't do you like his art? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean his art sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so because Audrey had asked me about this, I was saying that you know when we had the same discussion because there's a couple of R. Kelly hooks that are just impossible to deny. Yeah, you know they're oh yeah they're yeah as standalone products. Yeah, and so uh, but you know like the whole like women and sexual slavery and this whole thing is is super problematic. Yeah. So then you she was saying, well, but can you even think of anybody because I was arguing for separating the work from the person and she challenged me to think of somebody and so the only one I could come up with was who was the artist who was married to was it Anna Menden Mendieta and like a they uh. had a fight and she went over a balcony or something and he was never charged and I'm trying to remember. But then if you look him up, he was just the guy who was making like cubes during the minimalism uh-huh, uh-huh. epidemic, uh-huh. which is so boring. So it's it's not like even like that dude anyway. Um, so I was, yeah, I, I'll have to really try to come up with any, I can't really think of anybody that's in that same place where I know instantly, yes, I love some of that work and I find the person's uh, comportment deplorable. Got to check it out. Carl Andre? Was that who it was? Yes. There yeah, you okay. go. Carl wow. Mm-hmm. Boom. Um, Man, you were on fire right yeah, now. Yeah. We, R- should, we should tape in the morning every day. Yeah, though I thought your R. Kelly quote was was some sort of like Pillsbury quote or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fresh yeah. out the oven. Is that like a Toll House cookie thing? <laughs> I think, you know, I don't really know his work that well, but I feel like he was the, that one song where yeah. he, part of the lyric is what remix is this? And he's explicitly acknowledging the fact that he's making stuff that's so sample ready it's going to go out you know uh let me see if i can find the actual song to put here yeah so it's ignition or Mm -hmm. uh in Mm -hmm. quotations remix or rather um parentheses yeah mama rolling that body got every man in here wishing etc but yeah when you when you take out that little tiny piece it um it does feel (laughs) feel more chaste and uh (laughs) but still still putting something in your mouth yes go figure yeah. So here's a good example is like mm-hmm. Henry Rollins, right? Is a person yeah. like if I hung out with Henry Rollins, like if we went on a trip together to to Europe <laughs> for a week, right? Yeah. Like yeah. And we left on a Sunday. About <laughs> Wednesday, I would be like, ah. <laughs> like ah. But his poli- but he has but his politics are all where you want to be, aren't they? Well, I don't I don't know. And that's what we would learn about being on a on a week long European vacation with Henry Rollins. But like, like as a person, I have a sense that like midweek, I would be kind of tired of hanging out with Henry Rollins, but I don't think, but I have a suspicion that I would be like, he's a cool dude though. He could be a bad person. He does a lot of stuff about gender equality and and things in that territory. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look it up, but then yeah, he'll get online and just completely hammer people that are, um, uh, I'll have to look it up. Oh, cool. Uh, he has a music show on KCRW, and I, I like that. But, like, so I have a sense that, like, I can still like his work because I don't find him repulsive, you know? Um, yeah. Even though I might find him tiring or I might find him whatever, whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. R. Kelly, eh. Like, at some point I have to be like, there are other things I can find just as enjoyable that isn't R. Kelly. <laughs> but that song is, it is a good song. <laughs> Because, but it also plays into yeah. So, campaign and activism in Wikipedia. Rollins, outspoken human rights activist, most vocally for gay rights. In high school, he had a, a gay classmate who attempted suicide. Um, and so, I think, man, it sounds like he's been 
in the uh, raising money for pro-gay marriage and so forth. Oh, that's cool. But in some ways, he might be hard to deal with because he is so outspoken with something that you may even agree with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we've all right. been there either personally or experienced it where it, it's kind of tiring even if it's correct. Yes. Right, right. Depending right. on its expression. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's circle back around. So, so take a look at my, uh, oh. my, the first page of my website there. Okay. This is kind of more of a conversation. I don't know if you want to... Why don't you just, like, gr- grok the images just to introduce the topic matter, and then I can just take you on a spirit voyage. Let's tell you about it. The title is Reflowing Lead-Free Solder Paste. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's the Led Zeppelin logo, I think. Nerds. Yep. Nerds. Yeah, get the lead out, right? Okay. Oh, I see some a, a little jar of solder paste. It's a really bright, amazing green an XG one that probably means something to someone. I've always thought that it's Kester, I guess, K-E-S-T-E-R, but I've always right. pronounced it Keister because I think that's funny. Yeah, so that's like my teenage soldering. <laughs> okay, I'm scrolling down. Oh, oh, okay, interesting. This is a chart. Oh, this is specifying the correct temperature ranges for the solder paste. The solder I use is a spool. Uh, it looks like, like a wire and it's tin or lead or whatever. It's got a bunch of stuff in it. And mm-hmm. lead, lead-free is no lead, which is good. I don't know what I use. I think mine's lead-free, but it's, I always still feel bad when I inhale it. Well, and so what you're inhaling is not the metal, it's the flux. We could talk about that, All too. right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because I figured it all out. Oh, oh, awesome. Yeah, just yesterday I was wondering how bad am I killing myself. And then for this NXG1 solder paste, it looks like there's three areas of temperature that it um, does certain things. Oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and then there's a shaving the yak uh, cartoon, which is great. Shaving the yak is a, is that a, that's a phrase that means like, as soon as you're done, you have to keep doing it because it just keeps growing its hair. Is that right? So the, the way that I've heard shaving the yak invoked is that you go to uh, change a light bulb that burned out. Uh-huh. And then while you're doing that, you realize you can't find oh. the light bulbs that you had bought. So yes. you go to the grocery store, and while you're there, you get a, a piece of tuna, but that happens to have a hole in the package, et cetera, et cetera. I see. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let me just jump in, because this one, does, it's really hard to access okay. in a classic way cool. of looking at images, and uh-huh. that, that really does sum up what happens. So I'm going to be doing a um, a workshop through the New Media Caucus which is an organization specifically around technology and art. And they run these uh, events parallel to the College Art Association, which, for better or worse, you know, is kind of the place where all the art history papers get presented every year. And then they've expanded out a little bit, although their registration cost is still quite expensive. So if you're a non-member, I think mm-hmm. it's 400 bucks to mm-hmm. go sit and listen to papers. And then it's also taking place at the, at the Hilton in Manhattan. So it's really expensive <laughs> to be there, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's only once every three years. It's in Chicago and L.A. too. So that's also where a lot of jobs are interviewing for the visual arts at the college level for teaching. So the nice thing about the New Media Caucus is it doesn't cost anything. So me and Nick Bontrager, another former uh, guest on the podcast. Yeah, OG. Have been, yeah, he, and it's been great. We've been working the whole time since he was on the podcast like two years ago. <laughs> and yeah, so that's cool. We've been doing a bunch of practice getting uh, PCBs made out in China. And so we're going to be taking these projects and to do a workshop on creative coding and electronics manufacture that's at an event that would otherwise cost a lot but we're just like in a room that's free to attend oh yeah cool 
And then we're also doing office hours in the bar. So at the Hilton Bar next uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're going to be there 6 to 8 p.m. So this hopefully the podcast will come out oh, yeah. the day before it will, yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. So not next uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but this coming Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, and so um, we'll be there just setting up at a table, and if the bar doesn't make us stop, we'll be actively doing soldering and looking at, you know, like working electronics and uh-huh, things like uh-huh. that. So Nick and I both uh, got this uh, device called a reflower, this little table that I've talked about previously yeah. for reflowing solder that you actually apply as a paste with a little squeegee and a little stainless steel um, uh, template uh, stencil. So you get these little tiny, uh, it's it's basically little tiny beads floating in some kind of solution. And then as it heats up, according to its profile, it melts and then uh, wets, right? Wets the surface so it actually sort of falls down and adheres to metal surfaces. And man, just trying to get all the information on this to do it in a scientific way completely blew my mind. And I'm still working on it. Uh-huh. So <laughs> so I worked on it for two weeks and it's still um, in uh, still moving. So the basics are... I ordered some PCBs from Osh Park, which has been giving us great discounts. And some of the things to think about are there's the solder alloy. So, for example, I'm working with one that's mostly tin in order to get away from lead. But then um, Nick is working with one that has a large bismuth um, uh, component. Oh, There's a powder size. So these little tiny spheres that are floating in the, uh, which just looks like a gray paste, you get little smaller spheres if you want to apply things in different ways. So, you know, like if you have little tiny holes in your stencil, you want a smaller powder size. Now there's flux that's required in solder. And I'm curious to hear how much of this, you know, and how much you had never heard completely let out before. Cause this was new to me, mm-hmm. but <laughs> what flux is going to address the fact that metal surfaces that you want to melt solder onto generally are oxidized a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and they can oxidize over a period of seconds. So even if you clean something with alcohol and then move over to grab your soldering iron, it's already oxidized a little bit. Okay. And so what the flux is going to do, which in many cases is just actual tree rosin, um, It's super non-toxic when it's cold, but once it gets really hot, it changes its chemical behavior, and then that's when it's actually eating away at oxidization. So previously, once upon a time, you would have smeared flux on the surface, heated Mm -hmm. the surface up, then it deoxidizes, and then you attach the solder, but now flux is incorporated into solder, whether it's paste or the spool stuff like you're using. Yeah, the spool stuff, you can see there's a little hollow tube Oh, I've never it. been able to see it. I, I, I got to like yeah. cut, cut it and look at it closely. I think you're right that it comes as, as the core, right? Yeah, right. Almost like the old school that like, remember there's a toothpaste era there where they put like gel toothpaste in the, <laughs> sure. showing my age, but yeah. So, so the, um, so when you melt the uh, solder, my understanding is that the smoke you see is not the metal because you'd have to uh-huh. get it really hot to get it like atomizing into the air. But what you're seeing is the flux, and that is a corrosive material uh-huh, because the uh-huh. whole idea is it corrodes oxidization. So that's the reason you don't want to breathe it. Oh. Now, also previously, so flux generally sort of spreads out onto the board as a clear, it looks kind of like clear nail polish yeah. when it dries. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so formerly, you would have also then gone through and cleaned it with um, alcohol or some other kind of solvent. But then now they generally, almost all flexes are no clean type, but there's still a small chance if you have a really sensitive board with little tiny electrical signals, like, you know, like a radio or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 
that the presence of flux on the board is problematic, but then no clean because of its formulation is actually quite hard to clean because it's not intended to be cleaned clean afterwards. Uh, irony. And yeah. so no clean also means can't clean depending on who you ask. Uh-huh. So if you if you're planning to make a board where that might be an issue, where that stuff which is not that conductive but maybe ever so slightly conductive. Yeah. If if that could give you weird signals, that's actually harder to do. Oh. Now finally, there's also the presence of halogens or halides, <laughs> which I wasn't aware of at all, but with halides, uh, they are easier to clean. So if you have a no-clean solder that contains halogen or halides, which are effectively used interchangeably, although chemically that's not necessarily true, um, halides can be good if you want to clean, but they they do have an environmental impact that is not positive. Oh, Um, okay. So when you're looking at solder... Get the lead out. That's super important because that stuff will just make you go. It'll, it'll kill you and make you go crazy while it does it. Yeah, not good. Um, but you know, it's it, it's easier to work with. And so I've still got friends to this day who prefer to work with lead. Um, but these were all the sort of features you look at. And I, I have to give credit too to Nate, who runs our shop at Columbia College, our instructional facility at six twenty three Wabash, because he he started looking at all these categories and was asking me about them. And I had to admit, like, geez, I've no idea no what idea. halides yeah. do yeah. <laughs> in solder. So I started looking at it. Okay, so once you pick the solder, you look at its data sheet, and then it's actually got this whole profile that shows you over three to five minutes where different temperatures need to get hit and for how long. Aha. And I don't know about you, but I just like stick a hot soldering iron on there and see if it melts. Yep. But in this case, it's like we ramp up in a preheat zone, and then you soak where everything like comes up to an even temperature and then you top off very briefly at a peak, and that's when the reflowing actually happens, where the solder gets um, liquid and wets the surface. Okay. Um, and that's the so chart to... I was looking at, right? Yeah, okay. and that's the chart. So every single formulation is going to have its own reflow profile. Um, but then, while I was trying to get that done, I was having trouble getting things to melt in my reflower, and it turned out that I wasn't hitting the right temperatures. So I had to... Uh, borrow an IR uh, temperature gun. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I was taking the temperature, and then I wrote to the guy who built the reflower. He's just a single designer in South Africa. And he's been really good at writing me back. But he said, you know, no, no, you can't just use an IR thermometer on the surface. You have to put a PCB on there, and you have to take the temperature near the center of the oven oh. on a piece of the PB- PCB that doesn't have any metal in it. <laughs> because the presence of the metal... I think it's effectively like a heat sink and it throws the reading off or whatever. And so it's still not attaining the right temperature. So now we're going back and forth and like I open the thing up and then when he wakes up in South Africa, he's saying, does the PCB look like this? And uh-huh. I write back. And, and so unfortunately, after all of this research, I still don't have a working reflower for my event oh, no. on Wednesday. But I did buy a second one for Nick with a grant that we got and he uh, his is working correctly. So... <laughs> so the the workshop should be fine, but one of the things we'll be doing is actively trying to troubleshoot our equipment while we're there wow. to show that that's an inevitable part of working with this kind of material. So a PCB print is a printed circuit board, right? And it's um that's right. It's mm-hmm. like the unpopulated. It's the thing that looks like a little city that is the mm-hmm. electronics. I have a question about PCBs. Is mm-hmm. There's the metal part, and then there's the non-metal part. And the non mm-hmm. is that fiberglass, or what is that material? Do you know what it is? 
I think it's related, and so you want to be careful about cutting them uh-huh. and then inhaling that stuff. It always felt like uh, fiberglass to me, at least the old ones, but I didn't know if like the new ones are a newer material or something. Yeah, I mean, if you if you cut it or if you score it and break it, you can definitely see there are literal fibers. Yeah. It's not just a complete, it's not like an epoxy or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the big deal is that it's a non-conductive substrate. Yes. And I'm taking a look on Wikipedia to see, I mean, I could take a look too. So I've been using both OSH Park mm-hmm. and uh, Seed Studios for the ones I oh, get yeah. it from. Uh-huh. And so they probably have it on there, what their substrates are made of. So I'll look that up in the background as we're... I have a, as we're um, looking, I have another. I have a question while you're looking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the chart here, <clears throat> when I solder with a soldering iron, I mean, I always feel like the faster you get in and out of the soldering activity, the better. So, like, yep. mm-hmm. if you can touch the iron to the board and with your part and with the solder. And like it's hot enough within one second, you're sort of in and out. You've you've the solder has melted. You've seen that mm-hmm. like wetting process, which is like um everything yep. just kind of glistens for a second, and it's sort of mm-hmm. uh you kind of know like okay, it's it's hot enough that like it's adhering. It sort of cools off, shiny. Sometimes if I do a lower temp one, it like looks crystallizing or chunky or weird. Yeah, pit- pitted. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then in your chart here, the preheat zone is forty to eighty seconds. The soak zone is 61 to 120 seconds, and the reflow zone is 45 to 90 seconds. Now, I realize the entire board probably is being soldered all at one shot, which much quicker than doing it by hand. But is that is that typical, like that most boards stay on the thing for a couple of minutes? I mean, I'm still learning, but my uh-huh. my understanding is that if you have a hand soldering iron, you got that thing going pretty hot. Yeah. And so... Presumably what you want to be able to do with a hand soldering iron is actually scale your solder and iron to the right territory so that you're not just blazing hot and, you know, you pick a thickness of yeah. uh, solder wire that matches yep. that. Yep. Um, so I think what happens, yeah, you, you want to be as fast as possible as long as you're achieving wetting because it's just less time for that heat to heat sink into parts that are delicate. Yeah, yeah. I I believe what's happening here is that you're bringing it up relatively slowly so that you don't uh, send any part into thermal shock. Yeah, um, right. So I would imagine if you heated everything up super fast by just completely blasting it, that would be problematic. In the case of hand soldering, I think what you're doing is you know, you're know you soldering that pad and the heat is getting wicked away to all of the metal parts that are connected. Yeah. So okay. everything does wind up heating up some, but what you're trying to do is make that very very specific location very hot super quickly and then that heat instantly disperses yes right um so these are all just guesses based on how i've done it and from what i'm reading but it is kind of surprising right that the whole board gets baked it, yeah. what that also helps with is removing moisture so that you don't oh. heat up something that's slightly wet uh-huh. and then that actually damages components as that um as that moisture has to escape in the form of gas oh yeah i just i just did the conversion so in the chart the reflow zone starts at 220 degrees Celsius, which I thought would have been very hot, but it's only like 428 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's much, mm-hmm. that's 200 degrees at least cooler than my soldering iron. I typically solder mm-hmm. somewhere between 625, 650, somewhere in there. I can't yeah, remember but, offhand. Most, but... of that, most of that zone is not high enough to melt the solder at all. Got it. So okay. you just get it very close, and then everybody's yeah. come up to temperature, and then you just spike up for 15 seconds or something, and it oh. all drops into place. 
That's cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it could be even faster at that peak, but you want a second, at least in the case of this design that I'm working with, to look at the parts and then to potentially scoot them around with uh-huh. a uh, uh-huh. pair of pliers. Tweezers, or yeah. Yeah, yeah, tweezers, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and to answer your earlier question, so Seed Studio, the default material is FR4 TG130. <laughs> oh. The FR referring to uh, epoxy fiberglass. So we were both, we were both right. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Still, still the same stuff that it's always been. I'm sure it's different, but that stuff's yeah. like if you look at really old boards, they all still kind of look like that, you know, that fiberglassy yep. vibe. Wow, that's cool. So you're gonna be? Are you gonna be in the bar with the reflower? Yeah, I think so. The I mean, if we had the soldering irons there, you you would get like actual smoke off the um, mm-hmm. uh, the flux and so forth. So with the reflower, it's actually it you can't really tell it's doing anything. If that's you, so cool. Put it into silent mode. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it beeps to tell you it's uh, hot. And so hopefully we could just have it there. And I don't think it really creates significant... Because you can see part of the difference there, right? Like if you're soldering and just actively spraying yeah. flux smoke into the air, I think the reflower does a lot less. This yeah. is just a guess on my part, but in yeah, terms yeah. of exposure. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you'll throw the breaker at the bar. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> you can jump the bar, grab the bottles, and run. This will be like your Beastie Boys moment. <laughs> right. Hey, another good example of people that started out with a very abhorrent um, yes. uh, sex politics, and then now yes. they change all their lyrics on the fly to say, you know, MCA is in the back with the mahjong board instead yep. of what they how they what they used to promote. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's uh, a great. Yeah. So that's me. That awesome. Hopefully that'll uh, that'll help you in your uh, soldering travails. In wow. The yeah. You went reverse engineering in some ways on this one. Yeah, cool. yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Am I going to hit this Vimeo? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to hit the Vimeo. Man, Rob, your, uh, your photography game is, is uh, improving. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's, yeah. it's hard. Always be Nolan. He, uh, yeah. uh, he came in there with one of these little mini... Uh, breadboards and all of his parts were so carefully laid out ahead of time. So I'm seeing three um, nice breadboardable potentiometers. I'm assuming we're doing something in the audio direction, so hopefully those are logarithmic, Rob. Oh. As opposed to linear, are you familiar with the difference? Yes. I've just I, been reading about it's this. It's interesting that you went straight to audio. What was the tip-off? Oh, I, I, I think. I mean, I think it... Well, yeah, it was the uh, the presence of the uh, uh, eighth inch yes. audio cable. Yep. Yeah. Also, those potentiometers. I'm not seeing any LEDs or anything like that. Right. Um. So I, it didn't seem like we had another reasonable way to get output. Yep. Uh, than audio. So we're hooking up to a, a little um, through hole dip chip with 16 pins and not a whole lot of components. So there's just a one resistor, two ceramic caps, and a uh, uh, one of those, uh, I forget what the material composition of those barrel caps is. Electrolytic, I guess. Um, yeah. So we're going to have three potentiometers, just a couple little caps and stuff, maybe for signal cleaning on its way into this dip, run by a 9-volt battery with an audio out. So it's going to be some kind of tone or signal generator maybe or something like that. And then now we're hooking in um, some really nice pre-prepared uh, jumper wires instead of cutting them ourselves. 
See, Rob, once hey, hey, once we hit middle age, we can we can buy our own pre-cut jumper wires. We can, yeah. We we, we did the time. It's also a, re- a residual of like now so many things you buy online from a weird company you've never heard of before. They like throw little bonus things in there. Yeah, comes with shrink wrap tube. You know, I find that those are actually it's relatively common that that's my point of failure in my designs is that the pre-made jumper wires are just broken in the middle. Yeah, I've started testing for. Uh, continuity every single jumper wire when I put it into a project. Yeah, it's a good idea. Which seems like a pain, but man, it's going to save you yep. a lot of tears. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just going through and getting everything hooked up. I don't know if you have um, design off screen here or not, but it's just you're making it look like you just have this thing memorized, which is pretty <laughs> great. I and did I, do it a couple times before then, but uh, I I did have to look occasionally. Oh, man, don't, like a, don't ruin the magic. The yeah. magic of editing. <laughs> Um, okay, last but not least, uh, connecting our power and ground rails on either side of the breadboard and going out to the uh, battery here. So the sound that we're getting over the speaker... Yeah, there we are. So it's a little tone generator. Um, which I'm going to turn down slightly. Oh, yeah, sorry. So I can hear you. And I'm trying to... So I took a class way back in the day at Washington University with this guy. I'd imagine he's since died, but he was kind of like the Terminator. I mean, maybe he's still around, but he... Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I think he was at least in his late 70s by the time we took it with him, and he had been talking to NASA about getting ear hearing aids that had less delay. So he'd been a drummer and electronic musician for, you know, 50 years or something as of the 90s, and he um, could actually tell the microsecond delay between the drum sound and when it would show up on his uh, on his uh, hearing aids, supposedly. Yeah, um, and he was great. He said, "You can call me at home with a question about the class until like three in the morning, because <laughs> he would just be up in his basement, like hacking away on the drums all night." That's awesome. He's so great. I'll try to find out what his name was, but um, so yeah, he had some of those big cabinets that you build, like the giant patch bays that you could control, attack, sustain, decay, and release, and the whole thing. Like, so this is what's taking me back to that. So I'm having some trouble figuring out exactly what each of the three do. But when you turned it on, we got something that effectively sounded like and that's just because the period was so long. So then as you change the frequency of what sounded like, I guess, was a square wave, once it gets fast enough, we start to perceive it as more of a musical tone that's continuous as opposed to just more of an ah, you know, kind of periodic sound. But yeah, tell us about it. So uh, backwards safety dance was our challenge. (laughs) I mean, there's a number of great um, kind of powerful moments in that song, but one of them is the synth line that goes like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh wait, did did you play that in there? I didn't even hear it. No, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I was, I was like, Oh, that synth line is pretty, pretty great. And so then I started researching, how do you play that? Right. There is so many posts on the internet 
of people wondering like what synth is that like mm-hmm. what is that sound and it's like i think it's like a, a cs80 or something like that mm-hmm. like and people are really into it. like they're like oh the tone you know like people just like super nerding out on like the sound and all that stuff and i was mm-hmm. like oh maybe maybe i'll just make like the dirtiest dirtiest synth possible like sure. make like the most lowest fi thing and so what i made is a thing it's a thing i've never made before it's a forest mims product yep. Uh, called a stepped tone generator, I think mm-hmm. is what he called it. It has a really interesting history in that it became known later on as the Atari Punk console. Yeah, see right here. Which immediately was off-putting to me, <laughs> but yeah. even though like because it's like it's like speaking too loudly to my generation or something. Um, yeah, that uh, that is a sentence I'm gonna I'm gonna keep and cherish, my friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> is like, that is that an established turn of phrase? Speaking too loudly to my I don't know. No, uh, it's just like it just like was just like poking me in the eye with like all the things, and I was like, ah. like um, yeah. because I don't think it's how Atari made any sounds. It's not really punk, though anything can be at this point, and it's also not a console. Anyway, it's okay. A lot of people call it the APC, and it has a whole life. People make them, people modify them, and there is some really great stuff. It's a very simple circuit to make, and it has two knobs, and so like there's a really good one that's in like a bucket, and then the eyes are the... And it's like a head, and then you turn the eyes to like turn the knobs and stuff. It's really fun, and I never made it before, so I was like, I gotta stop dissing on the APC and just make the make the Atari Punk console. And it was really fun. I did have a fantasy of seeing if I could replay the Safety Dance synth line backwards using the atari punk console right there i didn't have enough time to build a sequencer or something that would be able to pulse the tones at the right frequencies oh that's a 556 by the way Mm. taylor that chip so it's two 555s in one one dip oh you can you can make tones like that with a 555 i guess just if the you can cycle is fast enough oh interesting with two yeah 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 right yeah one is the frequency of the oscillator Mm. and the other one is the width of the pulse right Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm So, yeah, how fast and then how wide. I haven't done a project without a microcontroller in a really long time. Right. So, yeah, that was my thing. I made a I made a the world's most low budget lo-fi quote-unquote synthesizer. Yeah, I like it. One thing I'm really into is Bose, you know, the audio people, the Bose audio. Gotcha. Mhm. They have a pair of augmented reality glasses mm-hmm. that as i understand it so far at least as i can best i can tell on their website is really like augmented reality sound so they're like tiny speakers in the is it what are the glasses are they arms what are the things that like go around oh, i always thought of them as legs but yeah. legs yes the legs legs of it i don't know what they are those things, anyway those the stimmy parts of glasses yeah. <laughs> they have little speakers in there so like you don't put anything in your ear but it like projects the sound into your ear I always thought like having like geolocated and like spatially oriented sound would be a really fun, interesting thing to play with. Mm-hmm. And Bose has now come out with this set of two hundred dollar glasses that are sadly are only sunglasses. Like you can't get the you can't get just get get clear glass on the glasses. Mm-hmm. They look like sunglasses, which makes you look like a total jerk, you know, if you're standing around inside with sunglasses on. I don't know why they did that, but I mean I kinda get it, but anyway. Um, I'm really into those, so I'm gonna just. I really want to try to see if I can find a pair somewhere. Yeah, once upon a time there was. I don't know if it's available anymore. There's a game called Papa Sangre for the uh, iPhone and perhaps others that was entirely navigated through sound, so the screen was unused. Oh wow! Yeah, cool. That's cool. 
The other thing I have is this really cool tool. I'm going to send you the link, Taylor, mm-hmm. called Magica Voxel. Let's see. So what I am seeing is the voxel, of course, being the 3D representation of a pixel. Yes. Uh, we have that sort of dark grayish brown chrome that Adobe Bridge is really into. Uh-huh. And then there's a sort of what looks like it was probably a semi-autonomously constructed accumulation of voxels that has kind of a city look. It's almost like if you took a 2D graph, but then 3 d it, like Michael Bade it uh, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. lens flare and, <laughs> and then you know, lighting circumstances and so forth. And then there's sliders for things like sun, sky, fog, and so forth. So it's, it's some kind of 3D modeling space that might have an animated component, but I'm not sure what the, um, uh, what the purpose is. Yeah, I guess I, it just dawned on me. So Minecraft, right, is sort oh, of right. like... So Magic of Voxa, as I understand it, is like you're really being able to use voxels, which is, if you think of it like a Lego, mm-hmm. as like a sculpting tool. Mm-hmm. So you can just sort of like hold the mouse down and like draw in 3D space. Right. Or start with a giant cube, mm-hmm. which is made up of parts, and then use your mouse to kind of erase out or sculpt away, like carve out the hollow spaces. You can also like turn the, the voxel. A voxel could be anything. So it could be a sphere. Mm-hmm. And so then like each little piece looks like a, like a sphere stacked on top of one another. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a cylinder. So then everything looks like has a kind of cigarette look, you know, where mm-hmm. it's all these columns, cylindrical columns stacked one on top of one another. Anyway, that was, I really, that it's like a cool tool. It looks like it's built by one or two people and uh, seemed like a really neat, like creative exploration tool. Great. Uh, yeah, apart from the fact that I'll be at the Manhattan Hilton Bar, which I think is called like Crossroads or something like that. Of course. <laughs> so that's going to be on the um, 13th, 14th, and 15th. And then the actual event is going to be, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, it's going to be right around there um, in the late afternoon on Friday, the 15th, where Nick and I are going to have a meeting. But we made um, oh, cool. a bunch of these little custom PCBs. So some of them are for soldering and adding um, sensors and so forth, which interface with an AT Tiny, and then we have this little sort of limited edition of twelve little Pac-Man ghosts that are um, sort of bling for your conference lanyard uh, in the style of badge. badge oh, nice. So we'll be giving those away as people retweet our um, event and then come to check it out. Uh, so that's one. And then just reading-wise and movie-wise, there's a couple things I've been consuming lately. So I'm going to get into the three-body problem. There's also, uh, I might be a little bit late to the party, but this, um, I got to look at the author's name here, but what attracted me, as you might imagine, was the New York, uh, New Yorker saying the African Game of Thrones. <laughs> and so this wow. uh, art, uh, author, Marlon James, who was either up for the Man Booker Prize or won it in 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. So he had done some stuff about, I believe, did he grow up in Jamaica, I think? And then... Um, uh, is an out gay man, but you know, in, in the process of trying to come to terms with that identity and the church was writing some material about that, but now he's going kind of all in on an African set, you know, similarly thousands and thousands of pages, lots of characters, presumably somebody dying frequently and you don't know who. Um, so that's, uh-huh. that's coming up, but he sounds like a lot of fun to follow. So, uh, I got one of his earlier books cause that stuff is upcoming, the, um, Game of Thrones. And then in terms of movies, I just happened to watch two movies in a row, coincidentally, that both made use of the old 4.3 format. 
Um, oh, yeah. So there's Nancy, which is about a woman who um, sort of invents stories in her own life, and then she either becomes convinced of or just decides to become convinced of the fact uh-huh. that she was actually kidnapped as a child and so goes to this family to say, I think I'm your daughter, and then what, how they deal with whether or not maybe that's true. Um, but, you know, she has this very small life that she tries to expand through fancy, and so perhaps that inspired the 4-3. And then I just watched um, First Reformed, which uh, was this Ethan Hawke vehicle about a guy running a tiny church and feeling like he's not having a big enough impact in the world. Um, So those are both interesting, though frustrating, particularly First Reformed. So I'm curious if anybody has opinions about that. But I got to the end of that one and was, was quite frustrated Although the, so many people were doing their work so well in that movie, the lighting and the framing and so forth, just the writing kind of kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, I just realized we have we have a spreadsheet of challenges from previous guests oh, yeah. that we get to pick nice. from. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let me read us out really quick, mm-hmm. and we'll jump sure. into that. Uh, you can find photos of our finished projects over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have links in our show notes, and we also post cool stuff to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. We'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. If you share an episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast, we will mail you an opposable thumbs sticker. Just contact us on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or email us at opposablepodcast at gmail.com. A shout out to the Mighty Wolf Mask, who did our Neon Thumb Wrestlers logo. Uh, That is what is on our sticker, and it's super cool. Mm -hmm. We'd like to give a shout out to Adam Mayer, Deb Chatra, Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Kotundu, and David Bellhorn. They are our top Patreon supporters, so a big shout out to that crew. If you'd like to join them in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposablethumbs to sponsor us. Anything you can donate really helps. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. We get to pick a challenge from the challenge spreadsheet. So let's see. Taylor, I have it up. Mm -hmm. I Uh, do not. Is that useful? I could pick a number if you want me to. Yeah, yeah. Let me shuffle it around here for a second. Uh... So we're going to have, okay, mm-hmm. so we have four. So Taylor, give me a number between one and four. Three. Three. Aha. Charlene McBride's challenge for us is camouflage. Hey, nice. That's a I good one. Yeah, that one for wow. sure. Yeah. Mm. Shout out to Charlene. Oh, right off, right off the bat, how am I going to exist in the uh, Hilton Manhattan for four days? Yes. Yeah, I don't belong there. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wow. You have to get like the is it uh Predator? Yeah. Yeah. They had the crazy suit that like like yeah. lets you blend it like absorbs the color from the back. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Taylor, we did it. Yep. We tackled the challenge and camouflage. I'm excited about camouflage. This one's gonna be good. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this isn't as intimidating mm. as some of them are where I just think, oh man, I'm just gonna have to let that brew uh-huh. for a couple days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, shout out to Charlene, Camouflage. Yeah, thanks, Charlene. And Taylor, we will will reconvene. All right, sounds good, man. See you then.
I had a hamburger mm-hmm. that had bacon in every single part of the hamburger. Mm-hmm. Bacon bits in the bun, bacon on the burger, bacon in the meat.